and welcome to Your Property Podcast. Today is the 26th of January 2021 and with us we have got Tej Singer from Tej Talks. Hi Tej. Hello, how are you doing? Great, thank you. It's fantastic to have you here with us today. So uh, Ted is a property investor in South Wales, a podcaster and a public speaker. His podcast educates, inspires and helps thousands of people every week with no adverts, sales and just value. And we are delighted to have uh, Ted here because his podcast is in uh, in property investing as well. So a fellow podcaster, it's, it's great to have you uh, on our podcast for today. Well, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been reading YPN for a while now, so it's, it's nice to be in it. Great, absolutely. Yes, so you have an article in this month in January's magazine, and it's all about branding. Uh, is branding essential for your property business? So uh, you have done had phenomenal, uh, phenomenal success recently. You've grown your portfolio from naught to 1.3 million in nine months, and you've raised uh, over six hundred and forty-eight thousand pounds from private investing investors. So it's uh, it, it's really interesting to you know we'll be digging into your story and how the podcast came about and and your branding. So um, talk to us first about the let, let's start with the podcast. Uh, so I was reading in the article that you wrote about how uh, that was a great way for you to meet lots of interesting people and basically teach yourself learning about property through these interviews so what made you come up with the idea because I, I kind of feel like podcast is a bit of a buzzword at the moment there's lots of people um uh, it's a great medium and, and lots of value being added and, and a really good platform to learn but what made you start one when you know not many people really it's not their first move <laughs> Yeah, you know what, and I think it's not many people's first move for a good reason. It's it's really not the easiest or best way to build a brand. It's a great addition and it's a great part of the picture. But, you know, like, you know, pound for pound is weak compared to, say, Instagram or Facebook. So I think that there must have been something at the time where I was listening to other property podcasts. I was kind of new to property and podcasts. And I thought, hold on a minute what do I love doing? I love like learning, but also maybe being able to do something at the same time, whether it's walking or exercising or, you know, when I'm on the, when I'm on the train, what do I do? It's not music. It's some sort of learning. So I thought, hold on a minute. If I am super efficient like this, then so many other people are going to be as well. And yeah, it just sort of started, you know, I, I don't remember having a kind of, right, I'm really good at audio and speaking. I want to, I want to have a podcast. It was just kind of, you know, this is quite useful for people. Maybe there was a lack of confidence. And I thought, well, if I do something visual like Instagram or Facebook, I haven't got anything to show because I'm not even doing viewings at this point. So I think it was a few factors, some of which were kind of accidental that made me do a podcast first. Who was your first person you've interviewed and how did you you know build up your audience and your guest speakers good question you know what I forgot his name <laughs> but I know his face and I know what we spoke about but I cannot remember his name because I think I've had 140 guests maybe yeah. something like that yeah. but I do I do remember and I remember the story and there was about a pub that he converted and it was all money out and it was a great story how did I build my I think so really it was using other social medias to direct people to the podcast so you know with a podcast 
I, I don't know, it's not really a social media. It's kind of just a medium of communication, I suppose. So it's very difficult to go from, well, here's the audio I produced. Hey, you know, come and look at it. People have to search for you. You have to be searchable. You have to have a few episodes. There's a bit of a technical element at the start, but then also it's like, well, how often are people searching for certain words on podcasts or are they finding it from other sources, from recommendations, from, Hey, that's a, you know, that's a cool podcast. So at the start, I was sort of, I suppose not having too many listeners as you always are going to have at the start. And then I thought, Hmm, I need to drive people here. And so then I started posting more on Facebook I think I did Facebook for a while, pretty much only Facebook. LinkedIn, I did a little bit of. Then I moved into Instagram. So really, it was me doing, you know, I'd say another platform's worth of work, right. building a brand there to then say, hey, go and listen to the full story on Tej Talks. Go and listen to me on Tej Talks. So it was a lot of work. And I suppose it kind of still is in a way. Yeah, I think it's that. A compound effect where you it's very front loaded you put a lot of the work in up front to build something and then you know you get to a point where you've got you know hundreds of thousands of people listening and people are like wow it's th- this is amazing and they don't sit, always see that uh the, the work that goes in up front so I, I guess now you know you've got that brand in place and you uh you know you're, you're attracting investors deals uh, money all, all sorts really but the actual branding then so your background's in recruitment um, do you use any skills from your previous life before property to uh, so first first I was a scientist I suppose and then because that's what I studied at uni and then I kind of got into recruitment in my own business so I would say I use so from the scientific element I 100% use the evidence-seeking like analytical approach if if an agent says right this house is worth 300k at the end of it i don't believe them unless they show me comparables unless there's data i don't believe them someone says you know you can do this in x many days or this is how much you know i just don't believe anything of any value or meaning that anyone says until there is some sort of evidence to prove it let's see your accounts let's see this let's you know i don't believe it so that comes from you know being a scientist where you just don't you know, believe stuff until you've researched it, studied it, tested it and got results. And then recruitment. Yeah. As much as I didn't enjoy it, absolutely have learned so much from that. And I think the main thing is like getting used to rejection and learning how to handle the nose, you know, as, as a recruiter, everyone hates you before they even know you. And it's just like, you call them up and it's straight away. Nope. Are you a recruiter? Nah. Like, all the time, every single day, every single week, every single month. Um, even when you're working with some clients, they still don't want to talk to you. So it's quite a, you kind of feel a bit kicked to the curb and kind of getting through that myself with no support, no mentor, no training, whatever, taking it into property where, yeah, agents are, they're not doing the same thing at all, but you're still getting told, nope, offers too low, offers too low continuously before you get anywhere. So for me, having a thick skin and learning to deal with rejection and then how to take that and convert it into a yes that's the biggest thing yeah that's really interesting and I, I think you're right at the beginning especially for people starting out they have often a block about going to speak to agents and especially if it's something creative like rent to rent or um purchase these options or something like well what are the agents going to say and and you know what if they say no well okay next you know you move on but I think the for some people who aren't used to that then it that's a 
it's quite a skill <laughs> to take some take some getting used to okay it's not the end of the world you know they're not gonna they're not gonna eat you alive it's just yeah. and, and to be honest most I'd say nine out of ten are just really polite they're just like sorry it's not something we do and move yeah. on um yeah it's so I see how that's kind of fed into your your journey. Um, in terms of the podcast, then I'm curious: have you got a favorite interview um, or one that stands out, one that comes to mind? Ooh, you know what? They were all they're all really good. Obviously, I'm going to say that. Um, there's there's somewhere like I might be friends with the person already, and so you can kind of hear that in the interview and pick it up. And obviously, for me it flows a lot nicer because I know how I can joke with them where I, it's just like we're having a chat as friends and it, it's easier than discovering someone on the podcast, but equally discovering new people is great because people get to hear me be like, wow, or what, you know, how so I think I haven't particularly got a favorite, but I think there were a few that kind of appealed to me. And I think one that really stands out is, um, Paul Nicholson he's based in Liverpool he invests in St Helens and Liverpool and he just some you know I went up there because I was up there anyway and we, we filmed it in person and spent some time together and I think it was like his frugality he operates at a level where he builds like he's basically regenerated a whole town so we're talking like level here but he he, he was like yeah the value was coming over and I was fixing plastic plants to the wall and broom in the lounge and I was like what of your like 20 unit development and you know, I, I never paid agents to manage my properties you know I, I was trying to save every single 40 quid a month and just little things he said and how humble he was despite yeah. his kind of station really appealed to me but you know I've had like you know some people like Dorian Payne for example like there, there's just so many people who've been on who have inspired me and inspired many others but a few of them just appeal to me, I suppose, because I see similarities in what I want to do or have done. So, yeah, it's like trying to pick your favorite favorite child, and everyone has their favorite child. They don't say it, but <laughs> 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 yeah, they're they're all awesome. They're all awesome. Fair enough. And it must be really interesting for people who have started what listening to you from the beginning, because you know when you started the podcast, you know you said you didn't know what HMO was and it hadn't done your first viewing, so you've gone down the learning route but very publicly mm -hmm. and it must be I guess for people listening interesting to see that journey and that growth over time so how did you find sharing your journey with the audience yeah you know what I didn't I don't know I suppose I've never there's obviously this thing on social media of like you know only show your highs make it like a glossy magazine don't you know, don't show the lows, don't show when things go wrong. And oh, people don't, you know, investors don't want to see that. You have to be perfect. And maybe it's a little bit old school, you know, kind of stiff upper lip thing. And, but I don't know, I never felt that even like saying recruitment when I used to kind of have a brand, not really, but, and then I suppose in property as well, I just never felt that for me, it just felt natural to share everything because when I was learning back in the day, I didn't have anyone who was sharing everything. If I did, I would have saved thousands of pounds and made thousands of pounds more because I would have learned, Oh, that's what happens. Like, uh, you know, I never had anyone who would show like in my case where there was a radiator that, you know, the pipes were going into the ground. My plumber was walking around checking it. Someone else did the work and he just flicked the pipes up and said, Ted, these are fake pipes. They don't go into the ground. And I put that video straight onto my Instagram story. Like, 
and people were pissing themselves laughing at it and so was i right because you're like oh, i mean what like what even is this but people don't put that up there right um but for me it was so natural to share things like that and to share like even now when i'm looking at say developments or flips to me be like i'm trying to figure this out and i you know i'm, I'm in the planning meeting listening to this and listening to that but i don't really get this and you know i'm trying to and i think for people I'm hoping and trying to give people, I suppose, what I didn't have and what even now, yeah, people definitely post about the bad stuff, but I don't know anyone who posts as much bad stuff as me. Maybe I just have a lot of bad stuff happening to me. <laughs> Maybe it's just the luck I've created, <laughs> right? But, you know, I don't know anyone who shows that. And it's so important for people to see that and not get hooked into, let me pay, let me pay for a course I'll be financially free in three months, you know, blah, 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 all these magic vendor finance, lease options, whatever. They do work, but, you know, I just want people to see the reality of it. And you know what? It's like therapy, isn't it? Because when a builder messes up, I can just talk to the world and say, I'm so angry. This is what's happened. So, you know what? I just find it natural. Honestly, I just find it so, so natural to just share with the world, I suppose. Yeah, and I think you're right, like, because not many people talk about it when you do, people can instantly relate and say, wow, yes, that happened to me too. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. You're right in that the world of social media, there is a kind of um, some, sometimes a bit of shame around making mistakes publicly and people calling you out on things. But the reality is, especially when you're going from zero to, to whatever, you, you know, it's a learning process you're not you're not going to know everything from day one so uh, I'm sure that people listening especially those in their early stages or those aspiring to do property uh, I'm sure it's been inspiring for them to to listen to your journey and see that actually I think that was one thing for me when I was listening to podcasts was that they a lot of people shared what went wrong but actually it wasn't you know it, it wasn't the end of the world okay things went wrong and uh, and they dealt with it but at the other side they were better off for having done the project now of course we only really hear from those people <laughs> and not the people who've gone bust but yep. you know it's still to see people coming up with those coming facing those challenges and carrying on through them is um it is great so uh, and I'm curious when you got to those blocks or things that went wrong or um a sort of a block in your learning did you choose guests to help you through that um so you know you're thinking okay well i don't know I'm, I'm not sure about capital gains tax allowances let's go and interview somebody so i can learn more or was it just a kind of organic um yeah that's a good question that's something i probably should do more consciously <laughs> <laughs> i think uh i you know what i think subconsciously yes i probably did you know there are probably points where i was like like i mean well, for example now or say in the past month or so i've been learning about developments commercial conversions bigger deals as people like to call them and so i would say that actually you know for the past a few weeks you know before christmas i was you know purposely looking for people who have done new builds people who i could meet you could do videos with i could see their sites I could learn from them because they were in a certain position. I would say before that, though, for the first year, I probably didn't do that. Only really in the last few months have I kind of been thinking, hey, I want to learn this now. It's kind of in line with my stages, but also people want to learn it full stop. So it kind of works for everyone. So, yeah, I am doing that now more, a little bit more consciously, I think. Okay. 
And and talk to us a bit more about the branding then, because obviously, you, you know, you're here with your yellow jumper on and yep. that's that's one of your trademarks now. So what did you do differently when you realized that you needed to um, to have that brand? So you talked a bit about Instagram and posting there, but what else did you do to promote your promote the, the podcast and your journey, I suppose? Yeah, so I think at the start, it was kind of just like, and I suppose it still is, is right, how can I add as much value and help as many people on this platform whilst obviously still respecting my own time and having to you know run a business and things like that? So at the start, it was just like, right, what am I learning? Like on viewings, speaking to agents, whatever it is, how can I take this, pick it up and give it to you, the world and say, look, this is what I'm learning. This is what I'm experiencing. If you haven't gone through it before, this is what it's kind of going to be like. Uh, and then I think over time, I, I, I suppose I'm creative. I like designing things. You know, people who follow me on Instagram and, and Facebook, everything you see is designed by me, all the yellow squares, all the, the different bits of artwork. It's all me. So essentially, I thought, hold on a minute. I need to make this a bit more refined. So whether that's watermarking all my pictures, taking higher quality pictures, um, you know, the designs I use, the fonts, putting more thought into, well, Ted Talks is me and I am it, but there is a brand and with any brand, you need guidelines, you need fonts, you need sizes, you need um, the kind of, I suppose, the tone of voice you're going to communicate in, which is my voice, essentially. So I kind of took it a bit more seriously at that point and allowed my creativity to kind of form a part of it. Now, not everyone's creative. So when you are building a brand, you know, you can outsource the creative part, but in a personal brand, you know, you are the, it is you. So you kind of have to stay within it. So I would say that, you know, I started posting more regularly on Instagram, different types of content, you know, posting at certain times. I started commenting and liking and engaging with other people you know, giving love to get love back, essentially. Um, I started posting more in Facebook and in Facebook groups, uh, podcasts. I think I may have increased how many per week that I was doing at that point. Um, LinkedIn, yeah, you know, I kind of put a bit of stuff out there as well. And then I think I also ordered merchandise, so yellow t-shirts, jumpers, etc. And then I suppose, you know, people basically recognize me with a yellow top on. So all networking events, I'd be wearing it. Um, any public speaking, anything I'm doing, I'm in it, which is why when we started, I said, hold on a minute, is this being recorded? <laughs> Let me go get it on. Because it's kind of a, I call it an identifier. So, you know, what I said, and, and this happens sort of by accident, but I sort of tell people this now is that you want people to see your color or your thing, whether it's a cravat or you wear a headband or whatever, and see it somewhere else, see a yellow car, see a yellow some, jumper and think, Tej, and, and that's kind of what's happened without me planning it. And now I say to people, actually, you should do something like this. So people always say, oh, that's Tej. He, he's in yellow. Yeah, we know Tej for yellow. I think, and then also, I suppose, all of this meant that when I went networking, physically or digitally now, people recognize you straight away. And it's not, oh, let's break the ice. Let's talk about the weather. It's just straight into, hey, Tej, I saw what you were doing. Tell me about this or how's that going? That then becomes a circle of back in the brand, back to talking, back in the brand. And so it just then snowballed and kind of became what it is now. Okay. Well, let's let's dive into your actual property journey then. So, you know, 
what was your first deal and how did you find it? How far were you into your learning journey and your podcasts when that, that happened? So I think I probably would have been about, four, I want to say four or five months into my learning and podcasting. So, you know, quite a few episodes, I suppose, of me yeah. you know, doing not much. Well, I was doing much, but I wasn't necessarily offering and, and doing all that. I think I was still working in my recruitment business. I was contracting out for a company and it was a deal sourcer who I'm still in contact with today, um, who brought the deal to my attention. I said to him, look, here's the funds a few months before we had a deal. And actually the first deal I was going to have was going to be a purchase price of 18,000 pounds. And I should have bought it. I just didn't understand structures enough. And that's a lesson for people like I got a structural survey done and it just scared me. But now I get surveys done. I laugh and say, yeah, like this is standard. It's falling apart. Good. <laughs> but then I was like, oh my God, but I should have bought it. Anyways, he then got me another deal. I think it was yeah, like a month or so later. Now this was a three bed in, in kind of, you know, people say it's a bit of a rough area, but people locally really want to live there and it's near some big towns, good transport links, trains to London, et cetera. So I was like, cool this is you know fairly desirable it was actually in quite good condition um you know it was newly painted it was magnolia but you know laminate floors kitchen essentially it had a bit of damp from a bay window a bit of damp from the sort of rear garden was a bit of a mess you know basically it was yeah it really wasn't that bad so it was on for so it's worth it was worth 80 when it was done up it was on for 79995 never going to go for that much i think the deal source put an offer in about a year before or like eight months before yeah. it then got accepted for fifty thousand pounds now you know we get deals right like i get money off deals of course we do but this wasn't you know a uh a shithole to put it bluntly this was a you know it was decent yeah. so really this kind of discount I, I don't know how it happened and why they dropped so much but they did um, I suppose it was a cash purchase as well. So I was supposed to fund it with a bridging loan, but my broker at the time just totally messed up. I had to go to family sort of a week before and say, look, I need to get this deal. Bridging's taking too long. Can you, you know, fund me? I don't know. I think they funded 60% LTV and I put in the rest. Uh, so it was cash purchase, bought it at 50, spent about six and a half on it. Now I would spend like two and a half, three grand. <laughs> lesson learned right um, <laughs> yeah and so after costs sourcing fees all of that stuff we were all in for 63,000 something it got revalued six months later at 80k pulled out 60k left in 3,000 something rents at 525 a month cash flows about 340 I think this one is um tenants great yeah she's paid rent late a couple like a day or so late um but I've had no maintenance. Nope. I've spent, I spent maybe like the gas safe certificate. I had to do a bit of guttering work, but generally it has been as passive and as not intensive as, as a buy to let can be really. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it should have been a straightforward deal. It was an easy refurb. It was, but bad management from the saucer inexperience on my part. It took too long and cost too much, but as you can see, it's quite forgiving. It worked yeah. out. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you went from, this first deal that quite straightforward, very passive. And then you've ended up doing, uh, you've got a service accommodation unit. I do, but actually that is the most passive thing I have, which really? is, okay. which doesn't make sense, right? But right. 
I have a management team in place. Right, okay. Then. They do everything, yeah. including inspection. So basically, I hear nothing. Every month I get paid, and that's it. It's yeah. amazing. I think there's two ways of doing the service accommodation. One is you're very hands-on. You're there hoovering between <laughs> the guests coming in or whatever when your cleaner doesn't turn up. But And then you've got people who, just, like yourself, just outsource everything. And obviously, there's a big cut. That mm-hmm. you, there's a, a cost to that in the profit. Yeah margin so do you i'm curious do you think it's worth obviously you know outsourcing it all i think in the cost if so if you're starting out and it's your first you know essay and maybe even it's a rent essay when your margins are a lot tighter and it's local it, it depends if you want multiple like if essay is your thing and you want multiple i think you have to have a baptism by fire i think you have to manage it you have to like you said you know, jump in for the cleaner when they don't turn up so that you understand later on down the line when you have 10 or 20 of them, okay, I know how to how to roll now. I know how this works. But like in my case where it was one out of the 15 properties and, you know, am I going to do another? Yeah, maybe. Um, it makes sense. And, it, and it's 150 miles away. And I, I do not <laughs> care for hospitality. Like doesn't, I'm not about that. I've been an essay guest. So I know how irritating I am. So I don't want to deal with me. So, you know, I let them deal with it, but it's all on your situation. That's what I think. Okay. So it sounds like you have taken deals on, on a case by case and it's just, Hey, if there's a margin, if it makes money, great. Um, Am I right? Or is it, you know, have you wanted to focus on one particular strategy? So, I would say my main strategy is buy, refurbish, refinance. So I look for a minimum 50% return on cash left in. I aim to leave in about five grand. I've left in more than that. I've left in a lot less and I've left in about five grand. So it's been a bit of a mix, mainly because of end valuations and bad builders increasing the refurb cost. That has been my strategy. So of those 15 properties I purchased in nine months, now 11 of them are well sorry 12 of them are tenanted good to go happy days a few others are being tenanted and i've sold some and i'm selling one of my tenanted ones so i always was going to do a few flips just to generate pots of cash to pay back my investors when i leave money in so it was never for personal profit you know um but brrs you know has been the strategy going forward sorry before but generally where I buy, you can't really do SA. And even if you could, there's no one to manage it like in these parts. But where I bought this property is great for students, but it's a two bed, so it won't be HMO. And it's great for service accommodation. You can see the sea actually, I've stayed in it, it's quite nice. So I thought, you know what? SA can give decent returns, you know, two to three times a buy to let. There's a few great management companies here, I want to, and also my main thing was I wanted to interior design a place for furniture. I was like, listen, I never get to do this on Pike yeah. So I was like, let's just spend money and let's see what happens. Just but cushions. yeah, basically, yeah, yellow cushions. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it, you know what? It was just a let's diversify. If it goes wrong, I can rent it out. It's still pretty super low risk, in my opinion. So yeah, um, I, I would do an essay again. Or I'd give it to them for guaranteed rent, rent to rent, and just say, yeah, you don't, you don't do all the stuff. Yeah, I think uh, just highlighting what you said there about if it didn't work out as an essay, you've got other options. I think that's the key is having different exit strategies. It has to stack on its own as a single let before. And then, yeah, okay, if you want to do essay with an management company, then you get that extra bonus. But actually, it's safe 
just as it is. Yeah. So fair enough. And the other properties, have you the buy refurbish refinance is that mainly on single lets? Have you got some HMOs that you're doing with that? Strategy? All single lets. I want my life to be in property <laughs> once they're tenanted to be as passive as, as possible. I don't want, oh, he stole my cheese. Oh, they smell all this. I don't care. Like, I just want it to be tenanted. And then, you know, the let and forget classic thing. So although you cannot forget it because you have to do inspections and maintain it and, and things like that. But I like tenants. And I think a lot of my tenants are like this, who will be there for five, 10 years. They'll have families in the house. They'll grow older in their houses. It's just, I suppose, the kind of areas that they're in. You know, I want, to have the same tenants, not have void periods, you know, in four years, look at the bank account and just see rent every month and have a relate, you know, a good relationship with the tenants. Um, that to me is more important. And although it is very enticing, the cash flow from HMOs, you know, it's just something, I suppose it's the, the, um, the old adage of keep it simple, right? Yeah. yeah. I just, I want it to, you know, I will do complex things when it comes to developments or when it comes to other businesses, but in property, for me, it's a portfolio that's going to be as passive as possible to support all the other silly businesses I'm going to start and all the ideas I have, basically. Yeah, I mean, the like you say, there's um, there's definitely more profit in the HMOs, but there's also more hassle. There's more time. There's you know the opportunity cost where you could be doing other other deals. Um, so you mentioned before about the development side, and you're looking to kind of get into that where are you up to and what uh what kinds of development projects are you looking at sure so um i've kind of done as much free education as i can there's some incredible resources online um i think you might have had some of the people in your um in ypn as well so i've kind of done a bulk of education the theoretical part anyway so i'm at the kind of stage where i'm sourcing deals essentially i've got um a tool called search land it's similar to like nimbus and land insight and i'm you know, essentially going through looking for opportunities, whether it's to build on the side of a house in the back garden or just open land. Um, I mean, at the moment I'm looking at, I suppose I'm starting with bigger flips around me. So I've got five or six offers in, but you know, probably all get rejected. Developments naturally is a kind of slower burn, slower game. So I'm really in the process of sending out DTV letters, which I'm doing, uh, sourcing sites, having these conversations. And then I suppose once I get to the next stage where the conversations become offers and we're potentially progressing. That's when I'll get the planner involved. And of course, moving on to get the QS involved and the project manager and all that kind of stuff. So it's still early days, but I've moved from purely learning, which I'm still doing every day to the, you know, taking action to kind of make it happen. Um, I don't have a particular focus in terms of like the new build. I haven't said, oh, I'm only going to do this because it's my first one as well in particular, I'm looking for good opportunities. And I think there's obviously, you know, there's different strategies within it, you know, get planning, sell it on. But for me, the refurb and the design and the product is my why and my reason for doing it. So therefore I'm, I'm ready to build them out and to do it. So, you know, watch this space, you know, who knows, see what happens in a yeah. few months. Well, what location are you looking for? Just in case any of our listeners are so I now live in Hertfordshire in a little uh, hamlet or village outside Hitchin. So if people have anything in Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire, I'm more than happy to have a look, to have a chat. Um, if you've got any interesting products, um, projects, come on my YouTube. So yeah, get in touch. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say to people who are starting out? And obviously, 
you know, you've gained not just the learning, but the confidence to uh, not just find deals, but work with investors. Um, some people who are listening to this and listen to your podcast, they, for whatever reason, haven't felt uh, like they can take that next step into making their first offer or find the first property or whatever it is. Um, what have you learned that you could, you know, any advice for people starting out? Sure. I think the first bit of advice or thing for us to realize is it, it will take time. Like it, it just factually will. So yes, you can pay for education. Yes, you can get it for free. Yes, you could sit there for hours and be taught how to analyze a deal. But until you do 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100 of them, you're not going to have the confidence. You know, when I started out buying one buy to let, like putting an offering, which was going to get, which literally had a 98% chance of getting rejected, by the way. So I could have just done no research. I would be here for hours and I'd be like, hmm, is this deal working at dinner, at breakfast, at lunch? I'd be on a walk like, is this deal? Work? And I'm like, all of this for 250 quid a month cash flow. What the hell am I doing? But like you have to. But now when it comes to buy to let, especially in my investment area, five, 10 minutes max, I know what I'm offering. To be honest, I know what I'm offering on the viewing. I know the end values in the areas. I know the refurb. As soon as I walk in, I've done 15 of them. It's not, I'm not saying I've done 100, but I've done and I've messed up more than enough to know, yeah, this is how much it's going to cost. But now when I'm looking at flips, I mean, I analyzed a, a block of flats I offered on, only, only two flats in it, but it took me like four or five, six hours over a couple of days. And I had to speak to you know, planners, gas safe, you know, building regs, so many different people to analyze one deal. And only after six hours was I like, yeah, I'm confident on my offer, you know, with enough margin in it. But I suppose, you know, that, that, that's the first thing. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, just because you see someone doing it in five minutes, they're, they're, they're a year ahead of you. Of course, they're doing yeah. it in five minutes. Um, I think the second thing is, depending on your strategy, you know, if you're doing buy, republish, refinance, 98% of your offers are going to get rejected anyway. So, you know, if people are afraid to put that offer in, just do it. The chances are you're going to get rejected anyway. Same with say social media, people who are scared to put that video out there. Yeah. Your first video is going to be crap. You're <laughs> going to get, you're going to get one like, and it's going to be from your auntie. Like yeah. <laughs> just get it out there. And no one's even going to care. They're not even going to remember it. Nope. <laughs> No, and no one's going to say, oh, that's a crap video. Like yeah. that people, like, I think a lot of fear, I'll say, well, all fear really, apart from like a, a snake or a tiger in your garden is mental. We make it up. You know, yeah. we make up, oh, they could say this, they could do this. They could. And like you said earlier on, Michelle, you know, the worst they can say is no. Yeah. Um, And so I think people, you know, just, I mean, here's, I suppose, an example with deal analysis, just go on right move. Look at houses, analyze the deals, find the end values, work out the refurb costs, speak to builders, speak to people in your network, speak to people like me and, you know, look at when we started, how we were and look at where we are now. And we only got here because we took that step, because we weren't afraid to just put an offer in or do something. So it takes time, but it's all in our heads. You know, it is all in our heads. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, definitely what's the worst thing that can happen is a great question to ask because sometimes the worst thing that happen can happen is you actually really do lose a lot of money so don't do that deal yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right yeah but if There's you that. see that everything stacks up in theory and uh, you know i love the phrase that 
property, it's not property that's risky. It's the person, it's the investor who takes too many risks or um, they haven't done their due diligence properly. So I think, yes, you know, if you want an absolutely 100% safe, I would say put it in the bank, but who knows, you know, the bank's, Oof, still wow. not you know still still can't say they're safe either so there's if you're going to do anything out of the ordinary then there's going to be an element of risk i think it's up to everyone to decide where that where they draw the line how much you know they want to risk for the the rewards they're going to get but so, i think um, just to, so just to add to that about due diligence i think there's a lot of people who i mean an example auction scary place to buy caveat emptor buyer beware houses are in there for a reason now when something's too good to be true it is um i mean i'm looking at a property recently and it's been in auction four times and it's sold around a similar amount month after month like there's an issue here right. i said to my solicitor now sister's charged two three hundred quid to read a legal pack um i sent it to him he did it for free because we have a relationship and he just said look tedge this is you know effed basically you are never going to own this. It's like gifted land. It hasn't got an actual title deed. There could be adverse possession. You may have to wait 13 years before it's even in your name. If you're going to sell it, it's not happening. If you're going to keep it, maybe, but I'd stay clear. This is messed. And there we go. That's the final piece of the puzzle. But do people listening have 200 quid times 10 times every auction? So yeah. Yeah. But you've made a good point there that, you know, you've got to the point where, you can ask him as a favor because you've got that relationship Mm -hmm. and i think you do you know if you are proactive enough you do get to a point where people will send you deals and they'll do you favors and you've got those contacts and uh you know something somebody told me once at the beginning was build your network before you need it Mm -hmm. and that was like gold and i was like yes i just it was all about relationships with me it was all about you know just building those um relationships over time whether that's with landlords investors uh whoever so i think that's that's a good tip for people as well and your brand Um, helps with that so so just like you know my the reason that me and him have a great relationship obviously we've done lots of business together but a lot of these people it's because of the brand they know what a shout out or an at on my story or in a mailer can do for them and their business and how much business it brings so a brand every element every element influences yeah you're right then i think it's not just about uh, the brand but also there's a there's a level of accountability and transparency when you're online and you know you're putting yourself out there and people are people know that you're uh, you've got that consistent track record as well um i think that just holds a lot of weight when people are hmm. you know coming to you for advice or investing so on the so. on the investing note how have you found working with investors? Did you, was that something you've done before? Or is it just in property and how do you position yourself? Yeah. So I think the positioning comes from the social media, like you said, accountability, trust, visibility. I mean, look, if one of my investors posted, Ted hasn't paid me back and he's refusing to pay me back. Look at these texts, you know, my whole, everything literally crumbles it's very difficult to build it up again, especially in the internet full of like weirdos and sharks and snakes who just, you know. So I would say that, and, and, and like a lot of investors have said this to me, actually, they said, Tej, you know, one of the reasons, and they kind of, quite, I suppose it's quite blunt as well. One of the reasons we invest with you is because we have an insurance that is your personal brand. If something goes wrong, we'll have you you know, to put it bluntly. And I'm like, yeah, you will. And and that's the beauty of it is that 
the brand finds the investors, but it also then holds you publicly liable to them. And they then there's more security for them and they're more comfortable with it. So that's the positioning. It's kind of a an interesting way how it brings them, then also gets them and keeps them. And so it, it's incredible what it can do. And, you know, working with investors, never did it before. Uh, I, I don't know. It's one of these things where like, if you've got the process down and you're confident and you have, I suppose, the right money mindset and you believe in it and yourself and you know the deal is good and morally and ethically you are a good person I suppose then it was just like business as usual you know it wasn't it's one of these things where I have the mindset that if I want something I'll go get it if I want to be a billionaire which I'm not really I'm not really want I'm really fussed about I will go and do it if I want to have x many houses I'll just do it that's my attitude is just plain and simple and objective that you know, I'll do it. Who's going to stop me? Me. I'm the only person who can stop me. And that's the attitude you kind of have to have with investors um, is that they're everywhere. Money is, you know, it is abundant. What isn't abundant is the skills, the team, the deals, the knowledge that we as property investors have. So I suppose back to positioning, people listening, make sure you value yourself because someone getting 8%, whatever on their money. Well, yeah. Can they get that other places? Yeah, maybe, perhaps. But, you know, what you have and what you're offering is, you know, a lot rarer than someone who has 300 grand. There's a lot of people who have 300 grand. Yeah, what I've been surprised about is that I think a lot of the times people, although obviously the deal has to stack, clearly, it's a given, but they're buying into you and your, not just your brand, but your personality, your values. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that comes across in you know, in your podcasts as well and everything you do. So I think like I was reading your article and you're saying about the best thing you can do is just be you and just be unique, do what you do and you'll attract people who, you know, who, who, who have similar values. Yeah. hundred percent. Like you, it's easy to go online, see people with their rented Lamborghinis and stacks of cash in Dubai posing all this shit and just think, Oh my God, why am I not there? Why am I, you know, or let me try and be like them but it's just immature and it doesn't work. An investor, as you said, the deal has to stack, but the amount of investors I've had who don't even ask about a deal or aren't interested, they're just like, Tej, you are the, like, I'm investing in Tej, not the deal. I know it's going to be a good deal because you're not stupid. Exactly. It's not, it wouldn't be worth it not working for you <laughs> because of your attention that's what that's what i say it's just it wouldn't be worth it i you're getting your money back no matter what happens yep <laughs> you know, 100%. You're spending all of this time and effort to build a brand and a reputation for for things to go wrong and and nope. you not have that integrity to back it up yeah and you know hey things go wrong covid happens things yep. are outside of our control but i think as long as you're transparent and you have got the right intentions um, and you know you're doing everything within your power to 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 act um you know just do the right thing so yeah. um yeah so what's been have you got a favorite property that stood out or have they kind of all been pretty vanilla and cookie cut no they've all had different interiors different kitchens different bathrooms like never cookie cut because if i bought them all at once maybe I could have saved money by cookie cutting because I had, because I bought the month or week after week after it, it, I didn't actually save any money by buying in bulk necessarily. And I didn't have anywhere to store it. And so basically every single house of mine looks different, which is kind of 
you know, I love interior design. So, you know, if I can't design a new kitchen every time, what's the point of buying it, in my opinion? If I can't spend hours picking a new tile, I'm not interested. Like that's that's what I love about it. So, I mean, on paper, yeah, some of the deals are, you know, like pu- pulling money out and, you know, even on a down valuation, they're still pulling money out. And I think, you know what, the deal I shared in the magazine, um, 20 Upper Power Street, that one, it just stood out to me because it was, it was the first time I was using this build team, which now, by the way, he has two CCJs from me. So you can tell that went sour. Um, but he did this property well. Um, it was the first time we worked together. Uh, it was, it's in an area with great capital appreciation, which I suppose a lot of my properties don't have great appreciation. It, it was just a really nice house, had gorgeous views. Um, but we did it in three months and three days, including like over Christmas. Oh. So got the keys three months three days later reefer was done we had a tenant moving in a week later but also on that day i had the refinance money come back in so actually the reefer was done earlier everything just fell into place and my broker said ted you just did a br in three months and i was like oh yeah i did (laughs) because you don't realize when you're in it and for me that shows the beauty of what is achievable with the right builders solicitors lenders brokers people around you then i have other brrs that have gone past a year and we're still not mortgaged you know because things went wrong with mainly the builders in this process but also in the way i did certain things so you know i would say that's my favorite property and the interior it was meant to be a flip so the the level is higher the swag is higher um but yeah, I've got a few others that, you know, I've got like my second ever property that I put no money into. I use like a bridge on two properties. The tenants are fantastic. Um, really good area, really nice house. But it is probably the highest net income from that single property. And the tenants are just incredible. So yeah, I like most of the houses, I would say, but I love a few of them. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up, but um, thank you very much for your time today. And it's been great to hear your story and uh, and how you've built the brand and the business and uh, and your just your reputation and what you're doing. And it's really inspiring. So we look forward to seeing what's next for you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me as well. No worries. Okay. And for anyone who is listening who is not yet a subscriber of the magazine, Uh, please click the link in the show notes and we will um, send you your first free magazine. Ted, I forgot to say, where can people find out more about you? Obviously the podcast. Do you want to tell us a bit more? We'll put the show links in the show notes. Sure. So the podcast is Ted Talks Property on all podcast players, including Spotify. Um, also at Tej-Talks.com. Uh, if you're interested in looking at investing with me or, or my invest and learn program, Tejinvests.com. Uh, I'm probably the most reachable on Instagram and that's Tej.talks. And type that in the internet and you, you'll just see everything, hopefully. Yeah. Well, as we've been talking about fire refurbish refinance as well, I'm going to do a plug for the uh, magazine, Your Property Network uh, magazine. We've got a training program about how to uh, find out about how you can do the buy refurbish refinance uh, strategy. So click in the show notes for that as well. And see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye, Tej. Mm-hmm.